Good morning, Redemption Hill. I want to bring you up to speed on um, where we are in our whole uh, approach to meeting together and ministry in this very unprecedented time. I actually sent out a pastor's update, and it included a more extensive document from our overseers as well, explaining our position. But just to, to give you a, a, a refresher, and maybe for some of you, introduce you for the first time to what's going on, I would direct you to uh, our website to get that other information in more detail. But um, some churches around us have begun setting dates to say we're going to begin face-to-face -face meeting uh, on such and such a date. Many of them have chosen May 31st, which is a wonderful date. It's a uh, it's, um, celebration of the beginning of the church, actually, Pentecost. So that's a, a beautiful date to do it. And uh, we understand why they're doing what they're doing. And we believe that's between them and God. And we're fully supportive of them pursuing whatever God leads them to do. We believe we're all reading actually the same verses the same way as far as the interpretation goes. It means the same thing. It's the application point. When does one verse uh, build up more uh, significance for this moment than, say, another verse? And so we've chosen not to begin meeting together in person. We are continuing to stay under the uh, guidelines the government has put in place. We believe that that's the best way we can honor God as Redemption Hill Church. And the overseers have prayed a lot and wrestled through the scripture and um, are content that we can continue to creatively find ways to do uh, the one another kind of ministry and the things that we're supposed to gather together for, such as worship and encouraging one another to love and good deeds. They look different. And over the long haul, we will need to be meeting together and we're praying and trusting that our government will get us there sooner rather than later. But we will continue to reconsider this over time. And if at some point we cannot fulfill the ministry God's called us to and follow the rules that are in place from the government, we understand uh, obeying God over man is the right thing to do. So we understand why some people are choosing to do that now. We just, we just don't believe that's what God would have us do. We believe we can still accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. Uh, a command that says, uh, subject yourself to the government, we're either doing it or we're not. Once we, uh, once we step outside of their um, expectations, we're no longer subjecting ourselves or at least obeying that command. Whereas a command to say, uh, don't forsake assembling together, that doesn't have a time frame set on it. It doesn't have, here's what it's all supposed to look like. The world was different when that was written. We still do need face-to-face. -face. We still will pursue face-to-face. -face. And at some point, that may actually become part of um, what we look at to say uh, a government may be moving too slow. Um, the government is moving very slow in everyone's view, including their own. But they're trying to make the choices they're making uh, the best they can, and we can argue over the politics of that. And, and you know, I'm sure there's political things that come to bear, but at the end of the day, the people God has put in, in power over us are asking us to do certain things, and we believe we can still fulfill what God has called us to do as his church, at least at this juncture. So we're going to continue meeting just as we are. And we would encourage you to treat people with different viewpoints with grace. This isn't a time to say, oh, the courageous are opening on May 31st and the cowards are not. Or the reckless are opening on May 31st and the wise ones are not. Or the godly ones are doing one thing and the ungodly ones are doing another thing. We're all interpreting the word of God, at least the ones I'm in conversation with, the same way. It's about application and application is always something that each church and its leadership has to wrestle through before God. We're convinced that we're where God wants us right now, as hard as it is. 
praying for you, love you, can't wait to be back together. Uh, being back together, though, will probably come a piece at a time, probably not be as fun as we'd like it to be. Uh, it'll be a process, and we have a team that's working on what does that look like, a task force to help prepare us for each step as it comes. Um, if we come to a place where we're saying we just need to set a date, uh, we'll let you know that. If the government opens up new opportunities for us where we could maybe have a drive-up service or begin to meet in smaller groups in some sort of socially distanced way, we'll let you know that. And we'll be quick to move into whatever territory is allowed for us that makes sense for us as well. In the meantime, we just ask you to keep praying. And if you have questions, you have concerns, you have needs, please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to talk to you, love to be an encouragement. No, this is a hard time. It's hard for all of us, but God is still in control and God still has a purpose and he always honors us when we honor his word. And we believe that for us in this place at this time, this is the way we can do that. Good morning, Redemption Hill family. We have just been listening to an update from Pastor Robert, updating us on where we are as a church and how we are responding to the unfolding situation between efforts to follow the government as we can and follow the Lord as we must. And he has referenced a couple other articles that we can read that give more extensive information about that. I want to call us to prayer right now, and because this is such a weighty issue, I want to ask that you might resist multitasking in any form right now. I want to ask that you might set aside other devices and perhaps come in from the kitchen. And would you sit and join me right now in closing our eyes, raising our voices, lifting our hands to the Lord, and join me in praying in three directions. First, that we would hear the voice of God. Second, that we would have our eyes seeking the face of Christ. And third, that as we wait in so many areas, that we would wait with grace. So would you join me in prayer? Awesome Father God, we want to be those who hear your voice today and in the weeks to come. God, there are so many voices that are clamoring for our attention, so many voices that have been speaking so frequently and so loudly. God, we have heard the voices of the experts, of Dr. Fauci, of Dr. Burks, of the CDC. God, we have heard the voices of politicians, of senators, of our president, of our mayor of LA, of our governor of California, of other local leaders. God, we have heard the voices of those who would seek to be persuaders of us in the news, broadcasters, opinion talkers, uh, people on radio, people on cable news. Um, God, we have heard the voices of our friends. We have heard the voices of family members. We have heard our own voice perhaps far too much. God, we pray that you would give us ears attentive to hear your voice above all, that voice that is often still and often small and often takes effort and focus and humility and prayerfulness. God, we pray that you would give us the discernment to hear your voice and to hear it louder than all of the others. And God, we pray that we would follow the admonitions of Proverbs to hear both sides of an argument before we would make a decision, to, heal, to hear all sides of a discussion before we make our decision, 
and build our case. God, may we be hearers. May we, may we be those who, who, who are quick to hear and slow to speak, and most of all, hearers of your voice. God, we pray that we would also be seekers of the face of Christ and that we would imitate and emulate his way. God, we pray that we would not feel like we have to become experts in everything, that we would not trust our instincts even. God, we pray especially that we would not be, become pawns of political agendas who would use us for their purposes. God, may we seek to be used for, uh, by you for your purposes. God, may you uh, allow us to see this time actually as a gift among so much disruption. Would this be a season where we are able to seek you with abandon? Would this be an era where we would look back months, uh, months ahead of now, look back on this time and see that this was a time that we were able to devote more time to prayer, more focus on abiding in Christ, more time in Scripture, more time encouraging one another. God, we pray that you would give us creativity to know how we can faithfully follow the admonitions and the callings of Scripture, even among all of the limitations. God, we recognize our heart's proneness to respond in rebellion when when we are told not to do things or told to do things. God, I recognize that when restrictions are placed on me, there's a rebel heart in me that, that doesn't want to follow those restrictions. And God, I pray that you would show me again the way of Christ, the way of humility, the way of seeing even all of these situations as an opportunity to again recognize your sovereignty and to seek to follow you and to seek to represent you in all of my interactions with people. So God, may we seek the face of Christ and be compelled by him again, be enamored by him again. And God, that reminds me that we are waiting. We are waiting. Uh, we desire to see people and see friends with, without masks on their faces. And God, may that cause us uh, to long for that day when we will see you Lord Jesus, face to face, and to see you with unveiled face. And God, we pray that as we are unable to gather in worship and unable to gather uh, in corporate teaching and unable to gather in classes together, that this would give us a longing for that day when we will gather around the throne at the Crystal Sea with saints of all ages and all, all languages, all tribes, all nations from throughout the eras of the church and of the Old Testament saints. God, would you give us a longing for that day that we would reclaim this prayerful word, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And would you give us grace for how we respond as we wait? God, give us grace for our leaders. Give us grace for the Christians and the believers at other churches who, who are perhaps running ahead of us. Father, we pray that you would give us grace for those Christians and churches that are perhaps more cautious or more concerned than we might be. God, give us grace for the unity of our body as we consider one another, as we consider our leaders, we consider the decisions of where our church is. May we, may we lessen and take less stock in our own convictions and seek to magnify the unity of the body of Christ. God, we pray that you change our hearts where we need to be changed, where we would honor you with all of our thoughts. So God, we pray again. 
that we would hear your voice, that we would seek Christ's face, and that as we wait, we would wait with grace. God, in our homes, as we gather to worship here, led by Nate and his team that have recorded from homes in multiple places, God, we pray that you'd give us the courage and the strength and the voice and the the joy to sing from our homes and to honor you where we are and to hear your word with high attentiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This week, <laughs> like every week, I spend an awful lot of time in my bedroom on the computer in Zoom meetings because I'm doing a lot of work from home and that's one of the best places to do it. And we have a rocker recliner that sits in the corner of the bedroom and for hour upon hour upon hour, I was just in that chair. And at one point, Davette came through the room and she looked at me and smiled and teased me. And she says, ah, I see you're practicing for retirement because you're sitting in your rocking chair in the bedroom. I thought, oh, what a thing to say. And what a thing to think. I'm offended. I aspire to something more than a rocking chair in the corner of the bedroom when I retire. I'm holding out at least for a rocking chair on the porch, right? I, I know you know I'm kidding, and, and I know that's lame too, but I, it got me thinking about retirement. Um, something we think about every once in a while, we're getting a little bit uh, to that stage where that looms a little bit larger. Uh, we're still not in any serious planning, but it's like, well, are we going to be ready? To, what do we need to do to make sure our financial house is in order and so on? And some of you know what that's like. Some of you are already there. Some of you are listening to this and going, okay, whatever the old guy's saying, let him get to something interesting for me in a minute. But it'll be interesting enough as you start to approach um, what does it look like to change life. And I think the dynamic of retirement shows something that's true at every stage of life. It just highlights it for us. Um, even the idea of sitting on a rocking chair in on my porch or wherever and just watching the world go by. Um, I've seen this happen over and over in, in friends' lives where they're, they're working so hard and then at some point they just seem to grow tired of it, which I understand that, and just want to be done. I just, I just want to be done. I don't want to be responsible for anything anymore. I don't want any demands on me. In other words, I want to be free to mold the entire world around me. Now, let that sink in because we'd never say it that way. And as, as Christians, we'll often say things like uh, there's no retirement actually from the kingdom of God. There's no retirement from serving Jesus, no retirement from worship. I may, I may change my salary or not have a salary. And there's certainly nothing wrong with slowing things down and changing the pace and enjoying more of life. But we understand um, the world's never supposed to be molded around me. That's the problem that brought the whole challenge of the world <laughs> The challenge that we're looking to escape is because generations of people wanted to mold the world around themselves. So me sitting on my porch or molding my world around me isn't going to help. We know that here, but there are times and places in our lives when, if we're really honest, our behavior says something different. Um, it's, it's interesting that I think if we polled most people, I, I don't have scientific 
study to back this up, but I think it's intuitively obvious enough that it, it'll it'll still hold true for us. Uh, if you poll at least a lot of people and ask them what 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 matters in life, what would make a difference, uh, what would me make their life meaningful, what are they shooting for, they'll use different language, and, and Christians will wrap it in God talk, and others will have secular talk. But at the end of the day, it'll boil down to something like, I want to make the world a better place. I want to make the world a better place. That's what we aspire to. And, and that's natural because that's actually what we were created for. God created us in his image and put us in this garden and said, here's where we can have this intimate relationship. And I want you to go out from here on my behalf and literally make the world a better place. It's, it's hardwired into us. So whether I'm a believer or not, there's still that echo of, of God's design that puts that drive in me. That's what I say. But then I come to certain points in life and retirement's just one of them. Or what I'm actually living is not that I want the world to be a better place. I want my world to be a better place. And I wonder how many of us are living so that my world would be a better place. We even kind of package Jesus that way sometimes in how we present the gospel. We look at how Jesus blesses me personally. He makes my world a better place. And then someday, he takes me to a better place. And we share it with other people with that in mind. And I think it betrays that we're missing part of the heart of God, a really central thing that we need to wrestle with, because it's one of the, one of the essentials, one of the fundamental foundational stones of a, of a good life. And we've talked about faith. We've talked about God being God and us not being God. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about a rhythm of loving God and loving others where we have intimacy and worship of God and where we, where we pursue peace with others and serve others. And, and now we want to take it one step further. And for the next three weeks, we'll, we'll finish up the series in the next three weeks. But for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the, the missional aspect. And we're going to take that idea of service and loving others to a bigger platform. And let's talk about the whole world. And how many of us actually are living in such a way that the world would be a better place? And how many of us as followers of Jesus actually take that as seriously as we should? I think we rush so quickly to that means share the gospel that we miss God has a heart for all the things going on around us. And at a time like this, I think that's particularly important because um, there's a lot of pain and suffering in this world. And Jesus wants people to know him as Savior. And he wants us to be able to gather and worship and, and challenge one another in love and good deeds. But he also wants us to have a heart for all that's going on in this world because he does. When he said, here's how much I care for you, he didn't say, I don't care about the sparrows, but I do care about you. He says, I care about the sparrows. So how much more do you think I care about you? In Psalm 24, it says, the earth is the Lord's and all that fills it. Right? It all belongs to him. That hasn't changed. In Colossians 1, where it talks about what Jesus has done and who he is and what he's doing, it says, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Not just the religious things, not just the spiritual things, but art and music and business and pandemics and ecosystems and economies and fill in the blank. It's all his arena. He's actually active in all of that, and he's looking to redeem all of that. In verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And I think if we're going to have the rhythm of life that God wants, loving him, loving others, and then take that out into the larger world, we need to start with not just how do we share Christ with our neighbors and how do we get the gospel to the ends of the world, but start with what's God's heart for the world in the fuller sense. And do I share that heart? Always, 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 the center of gravity will be proclamation. But we're really good at focusing on that. We will focus on that. I just don't want to rush there right now because I want to address maybe this fundamental disconnect where if I'm really honest, I'm living that my world would be a better place and that he'll take me to a better place and I'll share with other people he can make your world a better place and he'll take you to a better place and miss it. There's a whole bigger reality going on that I get to be a part of. And it makes 168 hours of my week meaningful, worshipful, impacting. If I'm a business owner, it's not just business provides for my family. It gives me a platform so that now I can worship and share Christ. It's business. I, I can actually do something that adds value to this world and will bless other families. Do I have a heart that says, I want to live so that my world will be a better place, or am I living to say the world will be a better place? Uh, if you have a Bible, would you open to Matthew 5? We're going to look at a few verses in 5 and then one verse, two verses in 6. And I just want to look at two quick principles. We, there's no way for us to develop this whole idea. I just want to try to open our hearts a little bit. And um, the idea is simply this. Uh, if I... If I'm here on God's behalf, always looking to share the gospel, but there's this bigger context that just says, I, I, I want the world to be a better place. I care about all of it. I may focus tightly on just some aspects, but I care about all of it because God cares about all of it. And I want my life to reflect that. There's, there's two things that need to kind of flesh that out. I need to long for the world to be a better place and I need to live so that the world is a better place. Long for the world to be a better place. Live for the world to be a better place. And we'll start in Matthew 6, actually, because that's where longing for the world to be a better place shows up. And it's in the Lord's Prayer. It says in verse 9, Matthew 6, 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think about that for a minute. Because this is about longing for the world to be a better place, not just longing for me to be out of this place, longing for your blessing in my life, longing for more people to know you so they can be out of this place. This is your world, everything in it. You still care about it. Your redemptive plan isn't just to redeem you and me and all the people in this world. It's not just to redeem us to him. It's is to redeem everything. And, and don't, don't get confused here. I cannot bring in God's kingdom. I can't solve every problem. There are limitations and challenges I will never surmount because only Jesus can do that. But I'm supposed to still be a preview and have the same heart that God has. And he, right here in the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't say, uh, God, bring us up to heaven. It says, God, bring heaven down to us. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's the long view, of course, that says, Lord, usher in that final day. But 
it doesn't start there. It's already starting. The very next words of the prayer talk about our daily bread. And so the dynamic that God wants me to live as his disciple is that I understand there's a day coming when everything gets fixed. But right now, I live a whole different kind of life that makes the world a better place, that engages the hurts of the world and brings beauty and goodness and truth. Shalom. Right? If you read Genesis 1 through 3, we see the shalom of God and, and those old uh, kind of categories that people have talked about for thousands of years, just more from a secular point of view of goodness, truth, and beauty, they actually overlap dramatically. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 talk a lot about goodness, truth, and beauty. God intends the world to look like that. It's been marred. It's been ruined. It cannot be fixed without fixing us. But we're not just here to fix us. We're here to be part of a preview, if you will, of what a whole new humanity can look like. And that involves, at least at some level, caring about and loving the world around us and praying. Right? Pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a great thing to pray even during this pandemic. My uh, daughter, Amanda, sent us a message through an app that we use. And um, this was a number of weeks ago, early on in this pandemic. She said, um, we're praying, my coworkers and I are praying for America today. That, that just really struck me. Not praying for specific Americans, um, praying, praying for the shalom of God for this whole nation, knowing that we were ahead of them in, in the impact of the disease. And that a heart for us, a heart for the suffering, a heart for the struggle, a heart for the economic hardship, which really struck me because a man has been involved in food distributions, churches. There's a picture that I have where there's like this huge pile of beans and rice just on the tile floor of this church that people, hungry people are coming in just to have food. And there are people that are struggling to keep food on their table in our country as well, but it's whole orders of magnitude different, right? When her workers in her, her company, her, her organization were sent home to work, they, they, almost none of them can afford Wi-Fi. They can't even work from home. She and like the other two top executives are the only ones that have Wi-Fi. And here they are praying for us and concerned about us and concerned about how we're doing and how our country's doing and how we're thriving and are our needs being met and are we hungry and are... They're Christians, right? Serious about their faith, just as you and I are. But I think, I think they have something there that I need to be reminded of. I always want the gospel to get out. That is the number one goal. But it's not the only thing. God has a heart for this world and the suffering that goes on in it, the ugliness that's in it, the harshness. He cares about those things. He cares about the sparrow. If he's made me artistic, I get to use that to add beauty in this world. If he's given me a financial mind, I get to use that to organize and structure things for good. If I'm an entrepreneur, I can build a business that does something that's worth doing and brings a product that's worth having and supports families so that they can thrive. There's all different ways that I can be engaged in actually honoring God and loving the world that will ultimately lead to sharing the gospel. But it's bigger than just that. And, it, and I have to back up and say, am I, am I living so that God will make my world a better place and then take me to a better place? 
or do I actually long for this world to be a better place? During this, this pandemic, how much have I prayed for others outside of my family? And what kind of prayers have I prayed? How many of us have even thought to pray? I, I realize Rwanda's a small country and we're a dominant country, and there's a bit of a differential there. It's easier for anyone to think of America than for most people to think of a place like Rwanda, but they're just as human and just as needy as we are. And I know of other countries around me too. How many of us have prayed for any of that? How many of us have prayed for the scientists that are trying to solve to find a cure? How many of us have prayed for the leaders? Not, not the kinds of prayers that come back to, may my world be a better place. I, I, I know some of us have been praying pretty faithfully for our leaders, but for what? For them to thrive? For them to honor God? Or for them to do the things that we want? Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, laying out essentially, here's what my people are like, and here's how, to, here's how they're to live. He says, here's how I want you to pray. And part of that prayer is that you just have a longing to see this world be the place that God intended it to be originally, and you'd pray to that end, that you would long for the world to be a better place. It's a heart I need to cultivate, and as I cultivate that heart, then I will be more effective, be far more effective at actually sharing the gospel when I have that opportunity. I'll be far more faithful in looking for that opportunity because I know that I can meet a physical need or I can do something that in this moment is beautiful or wonderful. But people still need an eternal connection with God or they're lost. So it'll, it'll always move me that direction if I understand it properly. But I, I need to just take some time and stop and say, where's my heart? Do I long for this world to experience the grace and goodness of God? And am I looking to participate in that in praying goodness and beauty and truth and redemptive work um, that's bigger than just Here's what I want so that my world's a better place right now. Or just get me through this until you take me to a better place one day. There's work that you're doing here now, Lord. It's not all religious work. It's all of life. And that brings us to the second passage I want us to spend a few minutes in, and that's just one page back probably in your Bible. Matthew 5, as he begins preaching this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts with the beatitude describing the character of those who are part of his kingdom. It starts, blessed are the poor in spirit, and the final beatitude is blessed are those who are persecuted. Both of them, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? This is what the kingdom citizen looks like, and then between those, there's eight total characteristics that are kind of these whole life character traits, and they're not just moral character traits. They're things that describe our heart and our perspective and how we live, and it includes the morality that we tend to focus on, but it includes everything about how I engage in this world. It, it, it shapes my heart to be humble and servant-oriented and longing for righteousness. And that's the kind of character of his people. And then he says, you, verse 13, this is where I want you to look, if you would. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Right? He wants us to live for the world to be a better place, and he starts with character. And we know there's an intentional response that he wants. He doesn't spell it out. It's a, it's a story. It, it, it's, a, it's subtle, but it's obvious if you look. It said, salt that no longer tastes salty is worthless. 
Do the math. In other words, guard your saltiness. This, this character, this manner of life, this way of looking at the world and engaging the world, the kind of heart you have that I've just described in all these terms, that's what I'm making you. Don't, don't neglect that. Don't let that fade. Don't lose that. Guard your character. Guard your characteristics as a citizen of the kingdom. Because that's how salt actually has its effect. It will preserve the rot. Because they didn't have refrigeration. And it will flavor things. So it's all a little bit better. I'm making you so that as you live in the world, you have that preserving, flavoring effect in all of life. Guard that. Guard that. Live for the world to be a better place. And then the second part of living for the world to be a better place, he switches the metaphor to light. And he says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, right? All of us collectively are this new model of humanity, this picture of what's ultimately going to be as we live out who he's calling us to be, who he's making us to be so that the world can see. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Did you catch that? There's the intentionality. Let your light shine. You're doing these good works that flow out of this kind of character. Go engage with the world on purpose. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Now those beatitude kind of character traits and perspectives and the good works that flow out of that encompass all of life. And what he's saying is, I want you to go engage with the world so that the world's a better place. Guard your character and then go be you on purpose in the world and good stuff will happen. And as a result of that good stuff, then comes the gospel. And as I live the life that God's birthing in me, and I live it in the world, I actually become exhibit A. Because it's the gospel of God making a difference. It's the gospel of God's rule changing everything. It's not the gospel of someday I will be forgiven and stand before him and go to some wonderful place. It includes that. Necessarily, importantly, centrally includes that. But it's bigger than that. It's a gospel that transforms right now. So how is my transformed life showing? He's saying, guard that transformed character. Live it out so that the good works that flow out of that can be seen. In other words, live for the world to be a better place. It shows up a lot of ways. Goodness, truth, and beauty are good things to focus on. Uh, have a neighbor actually found out believer, but we go for walks all the time. And there's this one house we pass. It says, look in this window every day, there'll be a new piece of art. I, I think she's slowed down now. I don't know how you keep that pace for whatever 60 some days now, but, um, for week on, weeks on end, there would be a new piece of art in the window just to bless, just add beauty in the world, right? We have a teddy bear in one of our windows and all around the neighborhood, there's people with teddy bears. It's supposed to help enliven the walk for the little kids. Search for the bears. It's, it's just doing something to show love, to show care. People don't see Jesus directly, 
But if I live a life that's engaged and caring and goodness and truth and beauty are central and the and, and the, the fruit of the Spirit is showing in me and the beatitude kind of characteristics are flowing out of me, which is all that God's doing. If I'm engaging the world and that's who I am, the world is a better place and just might turn its eyes and see Jesus, which then sets me up to share the gospel that I've shown. Always we want to get to sharing. Next couple of weeks, we'll talk about that. This week, we're just looking at, am I living for the world to be a better place? Let me give you a couple of things to think about personally, because there's a lot of places we could go. But I've, as I've been pondering, here's, here's three maybe contrasts that are, um, I think, helpful for this time and maybe a lot of time. But one of the questions I ask myself and I'm asking you is, am I living a life of generosity or a life of consumption? What drives me? A life of generosity or a life of consumption? Generosity, by the way, isn't just with what I have. Here's some money or here's some time. It's, it's with my heart. So a lot of the clamor and the wrangling and the arguing and the backbiting and the things that are going on show a life of consumption. It's all about me and what I get. And there's not this generosity of grace and respect. Am I living a life of generosity or consumption? If I have something and my brother's in need, do I say be warmed and filled? Do I ignore them or do I engage? Somebody's lost their job and I can help. Do I? And do I have this? It, it, we, we talked a little bit about serving in general. Last week, this is talking about our characteristic as a whole family and the kind of dynamic we bring into this world. Are we people who live to bless and the world takes notice, right? Um, another question is, am I more focused on character or utility? In other words, um, what's fundamentally intrinsic and good within a person or a situation or just does it work? Does it accomplish what it's supposed to. I think we sometimes even approach the Bible that way, right? Thomas Jefferson was just more honest when he took his Bible and cut it up and pasted it together, said, these are the verses I like. But sometimes I'll, <laughs> I'll approach the Bible and it's easy to ignore the things that I don't care for and just focus on what's working for me in the moment. It's easy for me to focus on what I like about a situation and ignore the rough parts, ignore the compromises, ignore the problems, right? So I, I think we live in a culture that's, that's um, wholesale bought the line that says it's, it's about the character of the action, not the character that drives the action. So as long as the action works, we're good. Here's a place for us to really shine, to say, wait a minute, we're, we're anchored deeper, we're focused deeper, and we care about these things as well. Um, truth is supposed to be central. But it's not the same thing as bombastic speech, right? I was reading in Proverbs this week. This is when this one really struck me. Um, in Proverbs 15, it says, The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. <laughs> what a picture. Gentle words are a tree of life. We live in a world that's so angry and so worked up and it doesn't mean that there's not things to be passionate about. There's certainly a place for passion, but 
where's the respect? Where's the gentleness? Where's the love? What kind of words come out of my mouth? And am I really anchoring in truth? Those are a few character traits that I can guard. And then how do I engage? Where am I serving the world? Where am I looking beyond myself habitually, regularly? How am I saying, here's how I'm living my life to just add value in this world? To just add value. And it's not even necessarily in religious terms because all of life is God's. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a thriving business that will cause people to thrive. That's wonderful. But I'm going to do it with God, for God, in a way that displays that I am God's. I'm going to guard my saltiness and engage so that my light actually shines. And I'm going to be a part of a community that is anchored there. Do I have a heart that says, I want the world to be a better place? Or am I content with, I want my world to be a better place? Two quick anchor points. One is, um, it's always hard. We won't, we won't succeed in really changing the world at its most fundamental level. But we should keep engaging. Right? Jesus talks in this whole section about being persecuted. That's not what happens to people that are always victorious. And, and we need to have a strong, strong theology of struggle and a strong theology of suffering because then as we engage and things are hard, we don't cut and run. We don't fold up. We don't compromise. We say, I knew this was coming and God's going to give me the grace. And I'm going to persevere through this in a way that I've guarded the character he's given me and I've engaged so that I'm loving the world in practical ways, even when it's hard. A second thing, um, which we'll flesh out more next time, but is uh, I need to keep a redemptive center. Um, sometimes people get focused on blessing the world. I'm going to put in a well here. I'm going to feed these people. Wonderful. But if I put in a well for a whole village... In 60 years, that well may be gone, and it's helped however many people for all that time, and then they all die, and they go into eternity without Jesus. That was better than not giving them the well, but there's a whole lot more I had to be doing. This week, there was a news story about the double rainbow man. You may have seen him. You can Google the video. He's just going nuts, and it went viral Posted on his YouTube page, he sees this double rainbow. It's so beautiful. He actually begins weeping on this video. And it moves the world because beauty is important. And it's, it's one of the things God delights in. And it's one of the things we can bring into this world. But um, the reason that video was posted is because it was part of his obituary. The man's now dead. I don't know if he knew Jesus. He brought beauty into the world or he celebrated beauty and made a difference in people's lives for a little bit of time. But now what? Always, I'm looking for the ultimate opportunity to make the world a better place is to make the gospel clear so that people can respond. So the question I ask is, am I living for my world to be the better place or for the world to be a better place? Am I longing for that and living for that? That's my prayer for us, even as we go through this hard time. God bless you.